Well, good morning, church family. Uh, if you don't know me, I'm Nathan Price. I serve as one of the pastors here at First Baptist Cordell, and we're grateful you're joining us this morning. We've already had Sunday school, learned about Jesus. We've sung songs about Jesus. Now we're going to have a Bible study corporately together uh, to learn even more about Jesus. And today, we're going to be finishing up our Summer in the Psalm series, and today we're going to be looking at Psalm 128. So if you have a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, please turn there with me. It's also going to be on the screen behind me. Uh, but I want to give you a little bit of background before we jump into it. Uh, Psalm 128 is actually a continuation of Psalm 127. Uh, if, you are, if you want to read back, it's actually a continuation there. And God's, this psalm is really talking to men and how men lead their household and love their household. Uh, we bear a certain responsibility that God designed for us to lead and protect those who we are betrothed to and our offspring we're blessed with. Uh, this Old Testament passage echoes what we find in Ephesians 5 uh, regarding husbands and wives. And it provides us with a blueprint here for the family that the Lord blesses. And that's what we're going to be talking about. And again, it's a wisdom psalm. Uh, it's a song of ascent, as I told the students about this morning. A, song, a psalm of ascent means as they were going to the temple in Jerusalem, they would chant this as they go. So, you know, you have cadences when you march in the military. It's like a cadence they would sing out as they march to go worship. Uh, of course, worshiping Yahweh there in the holy city. And we can see that this psalm begins with a blessing, but it ends and closes with a prayer. And four times throughout this psalm, we see a word used for blessed. And there's two different Hebrew words that kind of bring it, bring it about. But I think it helps us understand what it looks like for a family to be blessed and fear in the Lord. So with that, let's go to the text. Everybody follow along. It should be on the screen behind me as well. It says this, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands, and you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children, and peace be upon Israel. Here, pray with me. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word. I'm grateful for Psalms. I'm grateful for how you wrote it and how the psalmist wrote this down for us. God, I pray we make much of you uh, throughout this study. God, hide me behind your cross and speak, oh God. I pray us all in your name. Amen. So, how many of you guys ever put together Legos? Right? I have a Lego set here because last week my boys and I went to the mountains with my mom and we were trying to put together some Legos. So, I'll... Because it rained a lot. So this is as much as we got. And this is about 4,000 steps to get to this right here. You can see it's like, it kind of looks like a car, right? And my son Anderson helped me with this. This is Connor's car because we, we all had Lego sets. And Anderson had put, it quit raining, so Raleigh and I went fishing. So Anderson kept putting it together. And he can see the blueprint that you have to put, put together Legos. There's certain Legos that go certain places, right? And maybe he skipped a few steps. So when I picked the car back up, there were some pieces I was like, hmm, I think that's quite right. right. So I had to go back to the blueprint. We have a blueprint there. I had to put the car together. So I had to go back and rebuild some of his stuff, and then he helped me rebuild some of it because he thought, because he, he, he could see the big picture. It's supposed to look like a car, so he'd go ahead and go forward a few steps. But sometimes this doesn't bring a fourth what we're trying to get to, right? Put all the pieces on there so it looks like it's supposed to. This is some kind of supercar. And you can't quite tell it yet, but one day we're going to finish it, I promise. But that's kind of what we pick up on here is this psalmist is telling, giving us a blueprint for what it looks like to be a 
healthy household. And hopefully you got an outline when you came in. And the title is A Blueprint for a Fulfilling Home. Because God's blessed us with something. As you can see, the text says, Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord and walks in his ways. So we're blessed. Why? Because we, the first point there, a blueprint for a fulfilling home is fearing the Lord. We always like to talk about God's love, and that's a big aspect of who God is, but throughout the scriptures, fear is, a, is another term that's brought up just as much. Fearing God and what that looks like. And the psalmist here is putting some distinctions on the family that society today, I think, would seem as wrong. And that's it, that God has designed the family a certain way. Okay, And we shouldn't be surprised that, that we still see the family getting attacked today because what, was, what did Satan first do? He came and attacked the first family God put on earth. Right? And he caused them to sin. Right? So we shouldn't be surprised that today, guess what? He's still trying to do that. He tears down these distinctions and these God-ordained roles that God has given us to fulfill his purpose. And both in the New Testament and the Old Testament, God has a blueprint that leads to man or the husband to being the spiritual leader of the household. So as we look at this psalm, it seems to be directed towards the men or leaders of the household. How do we know this? Look at, look at verse 3 there. What's it say? Your wife will be, right? So he's betrothed to a woman. It's your wife. Okay, we can see that there. Um, so, but, this is what I know for sure, as being a husband is... But when it comes to leading a fulfilling home, the Lord, fearing the Lord, men need a great helpmate or teammate. And luckily, I found that. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? I think it means if you go back to the very first Psalm, Psalm 1, verses 1 and 2, it says what? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on, the, on his law he meditates day and night. So somebody that just obeys what God has given us in his word. That's how you fear the Lord. You have a healthy, healthy reverence for him. And to fulfill your house, Stephen Cole says this about fearing the Lord. It's a healthy respect and reverence for God, stemming from the knowledge of God and resulting in obedience to God. This attitude shows respect and reverence to who God is, and it shows by the actions you do. So it requires us to push us to do something, right? Go and fulfill his word, go and fulfill what he's got for us, right? Let me ask you, have you ever just been awestruck by who God is? Just other, like I say, last week I was in the mountains. And you gaze across the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it's pretty awestrucking at times. I feel the same way when I go and look at the ocean as well. But do we actually fear and respect who God actually is and what he created for us? Shudder in the presence of God. And it, truly what this says, if you... If you Fear God, you will walk in his ways, doesn't it? Proverbs 8 says what? The fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. You don't willfully go about sinning, right? That's what it's like to fear God. You don't go and willfully sin. If you do, you go and repent. So what, let me ask you, do you do what God tells you to do in his word? Do we go and fulfill the great commission? Do we fulfill the great commandment? Do we listen to when God speaks through his word to us, to our hearts? Or do we push it aside? Because the mark of a person who fears the Lord is obedience to his word. Like my boys. I have, four, I have three of them. Sometimes I tell them to go clean their room. Right? You know how that goes, parents, right? Go clean your room. And sometimes there's a healthy respect and reverence, and they'll go and clean their room. But lots of times that's not the case. 
That's kind of the same thing happening here. I mean, he talks about it. If you go back to the text there, what's it say? Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord who walks in his ways. This walking here is like a, from the way the, the Hebrew word is, is a continuance of walking. So it means you walk forever. Why? Because you, you, while you're, you get saved, the first, the first step to know God or to fear God is to know God. That means repenting your sin and trust in Christ. Yes. And then for the rest of your life, until you go to be with Jesus, you're getting sanctified by Christ and his word and his people as we live this life on earth. Right? So we continue to walk in his ways. We continue, we continue and continue and continue to walk. March along. Go along. So we continue to go, right? It's a lifetime of walking and obedience to God and his commands. And here, here's the thing. As we grow in knowledge of who God is, as we grow as Christians and learn more about who, who he is through his word and through Sunday school classes and through corporate preaching and through quiet time, through prayer, if we gain in knowledge, we should also gain and grow in fear of him. That means, as Proverbs says, we should, what, flee from evil and grow in hop, holiness to see who God is. That's how we do it. So, you know, this is more for men in some ways, the first starting out. So let me ask you, how are you doing leading your family spiritually? This is, what, this is why I say that, because I grew up in a traditional Southern Baptist church, and I was an RA, I went to Sunday school every week, and I would say 90, 95% of my teachers growing up were females. Not that that's wrong, but RAs is more, geared more for what? Guys, right? And I never had a male RA leader. And I just, it, I look back on it, I'm like, well, that doesn't really make sense. It's not that the women didn't lead me and lead me well, but there's sometimes guys need a guy. Right? And I never had one. And it would have been helpful at times. But there's some things I would share with a guy when I was growing up that I wouldn't share with a female. Why? Because guys think like guys. <laughs> right? So let me ask you, how are you leading your family spiritually? Because God has called us to be what? The head of the household to fear God, right? And this is very humbling for me because I, I lead, lead little kids, right? I love them. I have a family. This whole sermon's been convicting to me it shows me the edges where I struggle to. Because you know it's easy to lead children sometimes. I don't know about teenagers, but for you teenage parents, but it's easy to lead children. Why? Because children usually will follow in your direction for the good and for the bad. Here's a story regarding this. There was a little girl out in the yard where her dad was working after a rainstorm. And she was stepping exactly where he stepped and called out to him, Daddy, if you don't get mud on your feet, I won't get any mud on me. And then another story, a dad and his son were climbing a mountain, and he came to a difficult part. The dad stopped to consider the best route up. Behind him, the son called out, choose the best path, dad. I'm coming right behind you. So let me ask you, where are you leading them to, and who are you leading them with? Because when it boils down to it, God has a plan for us. It's laid out through his word. It's laid out through his church. And here's the thing. We can't escape our examples to the world around us about who we live for. How, how are we living out as being examples or ambassadors for Jesus? Because your words, attitudes, and actions show the world around us, and especially our kids and our grandkids, if we really fear the Lord. And women, guess what? You guys have a design role by God himself as too. If you look at the text there, it talks about it. 
What's it say there? Verse 3, your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. Guys, I'm afraid uh, we don't look at distinction on what women actually have the the burden they they carry. But the day-to-day activity of leading and raising the household rests on the women, especially during this time, the mother of the household, right? Because during this time, what did the man do? He went to the fields to do what? Labor. If you go back to the text there, what's it say? Verse 2, you shall eat of the labor of your hands, you shall be blessed, and it shall be well with you. So the man goes to work out in the fields. and Some of you guys still work out in the fields and bring food home. It's a great thing. We have lots of farming around here. But that was the, especially during this context, that's just exactly what they were doing, right? Going out and bringing in the food, and the, the woman was at home leading the household. And here's the thing, guys, for us. As, as your wife is leading the household, if men are taking their role seriously, your wife should be flourishing and fruitful as you lead and love her and as you fear the Lord together right there where she's at. And women being fruitful if a husband is leading and loving her well. So let me ask you, how fruitful is your wife being? How fruitful is your family being? Because it, it resides on our shoulders, but how fruitful are they being? Is she being productive and feeling like a part of the team? Making the home a refreshing place for your children? Women who fear the Lord will pass it along to their children as they love and lead and nourish them to understand what it looks like. And I can say that in my own life. My grandmother was the best Christian. I've talked about her. She's the best Christian I've ever met. We, had, we would have debates on theological, the, theological issues for sure. But we loved each other. And we still believed that Jesus was king, even though we had little skirmishes about some tertiary issues. But she always loved me, and she always taught me to fear God. I can say that like I say, she's the best Christian I ever met, and truly she was. And preaching her funeral was the easiest funeral I've ever preached. Because she did it with her life. So don't make sure you make sure you understand your role and take it seriously. Because it matters. So this fear that we have is passed along through generations. And how we live it out proves it. There was a study done of families. And families that attended church together, 72% of their children and grandchildren will remain faithful as well. If it's only the husband that attends church, it's 50% will come back. If it's only the mom, it falls to 15%. So godly parents and grandparents have a vital role to show the importance of fearing God and following his ways. And that also means for kids out inside your influence, your area of influence. A lot of you, we have lots of teachers, we have coaches. Guys, we have to shepherd these kids towards Jesus. We cannot, we might be the only Jesus they see. We have to make sure we're taking our role seriously and pushing them towards that. This is the blueprint that God has for families is shepherding in the fear of God. But the fear of God is just being obedient to God. So be aware of your role and take it seriously because it matters on this side of eternity and forever. So we talked about the first part of the blueprint, is fearing God. The next part of the blueprint there on your outline, a blueprint for a fulfilling home is working for the Lord. We, talked, we, we dove into it just a little bit. But work, <coughs> work is actually not the priority of life. Did you guys know that? But wherever you work, the priority is if you work for, whose glory are you working for? If you're working for God's glory, guess what? You'll always be working to bring about what he wants for your life. Guys, this is your sphere of influence, as I call it. 
wherever God's placed you, it's not by happenstance that you're there or what's going on. But he has you there for a reason. To lead the love to shepherd those people around you. That's what, he, that's what you're there for. And guys, I didn't grow up in Cordial. Lots of you guys have a lot more influence than I do. But what are we doing with it? Please point people towards Jesus. Right? Please point them towards the gospel. Towards the local church. No matter what happens, you can have enjoyment in your work if you're working for the right reasons. If you look at verse 2, what's it say in verse 2? You shall eat the fruit of your labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and it shall be well with you. So if you're working well for the right purposes, what? And it, again, men would go to work and they would provide for the family in the fields. But here's the thing, and I think all of us can fall victim of this, me included. Just don't, make sure we don't get so caught up, men, don't get so caught up in the work or provider life that you forget who you're providing for. Don't miss your role to lead and shepherd your bride or wife or your kids. That's your first priority. And also to make them understand the roles that God's given them so one day they can undertake the same thing. That's who we're working for. And here's another thing. I, yes, I serve in a pastoral role. And lots of people put all these distinctions on what a pastor is and what we're supposed to be doing. But guys, I'm just a nobody trying to exalt somebody that can save anybody. That's all I am at the core. And all our pastors here would say the same thing. I'm nobody trying to exalt somebody that can save anybody. That's who I am. And working is a reward and you will be happy. You can be happy in work, no matter what comes your way as a Christian. Why? Because of who God is, not because of who you are. Back to this, the woman's role here in working. This psalm is to be what? A fruitful vine within your house. The fruitfulness here is definitely childbearing, but also productivity. The Hebrews say children are what? A blessing from God. And I would absolutely agree with it. You go back to Psalm 127, it's got a great part about the arrows in your quiver and all that part about children and what they are. And I 100% believe that. But I pray, and I pray we think children are a blessing, but as we know, our culture views children very differently. Sometimes it's almost a curse. If my own family being, which is considered large, we have four kids, and strangers probably sometimes look with pity and probably even say, bless your heart, and you're poor, you poor thing. But here's the thing. We've been entrusted with these blessings, and we should take the work of teaching them seriously and push back against them being a burden. And that's not easy to say the least. But I can say this, having a unified front with my bride, that helps so much. Because we're grounded in the roles that God's given us in Christ. We're a team and we take our roles seriously on that team. So women, don't downplay your role. It's essential for God's blueprint in working for the Lord. I can say this for sure. The creativeness of my household, my household would be pretty bland if I had anything to do with the creativeness of what it looks like. There would be nothing on the walls. Everything would be very colorless and just the same. But the creativeness that she brings, brings what? Joy. <laughs> brings joy to her household. My bride's definitely fun and joyful mom, and I see it every single day. The fruit of the vine she produces is always associated with joy and gladness. I see it. And the truth that women bring gladness and godliness together shows you how compatible it is. 
Because the overarching truth that she conveys and we convey to our kids is that a godly person can truly enjoy life no matter what comes your way. When things go terribly wrong, when it just doesn't turn out like it's supposed to. A godly mother that works for her home will make sure it's enjoyable as it can be. And I'm afraid many mothers have abandoned the God-designed work for a career. I know it's necessary at times, but also for single parents out there, I have a special respect for each and every one of you. The, burden that, the burdens that you share, the burdens you take on, and how you lead and love your kids. But I could, this is why I say that. During the formative early years of a child's life, a mother's influence is paramount during that time. I'm afraid we far too often allow others to influence our kids more than ourselves, especially God's Word. And here's what I want to say about that. Teenagers, parents of teenagers, if you don't have access to your kid's phone, you need to get it right now. Because those phones are changing the next generation. And for the most part, it's not for the good. I'm telling you, I don't think they even understand that some of the programming and things that pop up truly make them think in a different thought pattern. Uh, this is a real thing. Be aware that it's changing the next generation. And for the most part, it's not for stuff that brings glory to God. And we need to be, you need to be aware and be there, I promise you. It's scary to me as a pastor. I'll be honest, it's scary. Be, be aware that it's truly changing their minds and it can change their souls in the blink of an eye. But the roles, again, back to the roles here and working, Roles that wives and husbands always they take on, they matter for the formation of their children. So don't be so busy working that you neglect the roles that God's given each and, one, each and one of you to lead and love your family. Fulfilling the mission God has for you as being the main disciples for your kids. You guys are the ones God's entrusted with these blessings. And what am I do as a pastor is to come alongside to help you, push you towards that, to shepherd you towards that. And I've had some real conversations with some of the teenage parents in the room and some of your teenagers too. And I can tell you this, I, if, if you, teenagers, if you're doing something terribly wrong, I'm going to tell your parents even if you tell me not to. You know why? Because they need to discipline you. They don't want you to sin. They don't want you to be doing that. I can promise you. I'm, but I'm always going to be pointing to Jesus along with my own children. Why? Because God's design is perfect and ours is not. And I want to have that relationship where we can share struggles with each other. We can share burdens with each other. Because one day I'm going to raise some teenagers too, and I'm going to have to lean on you guys a little bit too to ask you some questions. I'm not the expert here, but I know God's word and what he's designed for us is. We need each other to push these kids forward to provide for the next generation. Because, man, it matters. If I, if, guys, if I didn't believe in the next generation, I wouldn't be leading them and teaching them. If, they, if I don't think they can be better than I can. Right? I, wouldn't, I would just go do something else. But I believe in the next generation. I believe they're going to be better. Why? Because we're going to be shepherding and pushing them forward towards Jesus. That's how they become better. That's how. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. I can promise you that wherever God puts me, however God puts me, that's what I'm going to be doing. And I want you to also understand that working to provide for your family is never wrong. And that looks different in every aspect. 
It's never wrong. But working to provide a lavish lifestyle is not what God had envisioned either. So as we work for the Lord, we stand in awe of what he does and how he rewards your work. Look at the text. He rewards it how? Your wife will be fruitful, right? And it shall be well with you. No matter what comes your way, it shall be well with you. And then the verse 4 there, Behold, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. He says it again. Because it's that important. Right? If you want to know more about this blessing that we have, you can go back to Deuteronomy 28. It talks all about this blessing and what it looks like to get down to the nitty-gritty of what it looks like. So I urge you to go back and read that. Deuteronomy 28 talks all about this blessing. And the next point there is we're following along. The blueprint a blueprint for a fulfilling home is leaving a godly legacy. So what are we leaving behind for our kids or the next generation? What are we pushing them towards? I ask that from your family aspect. I also ask it from a church family aspect. What, what's the legacy of First Baptist going to be? Why? Because legacy matters. Legacy matters to who? God. How we build the next generation? How we leave something behind for the next generation to go forward? Resides on us. If you go back to the text there, what's it say? It talks about olive shoots. You see in verse 3, olive shoots around your table. Olive shoots are what? Very small olive plants. But in the middle there's a mature tree, right? These olive shoots grow around it. So, they haven't, what, what are you talking about? Shoots are these baby plants. They haven't matured yet, right? But you have this mature plant in the middle, right? And guess what? That mature plant pours into these little plants. And what happens? The little plants start to grow. They start to mature. And one day, guess what? They'll be mature and they replace the, tr the mature tree, right? That's how it works. That's the big picture, right? And this, the parent tree well, step aside and let the new trees come and bear fruit. So don't get bogged down in the process. If you, if you stay with God and his word, I promise you, it's, it's the only way forward. And guess what? We have children. This is something that's been hard for me. I'm my only child. Didn't have any brothers or sisters. Children will do what? They'll act like children. Why? Because they're developing. They don't listen all the time. But guess what? They still have the potential to have fruitfulness. But most times, they just aren't there yet. They don't understand. They need, they need time to what? Grow and be nourished, to mature. And they do this best in a fulfilling home that fears the Lord. They will make mistakes, but they shouldn't be lambasted for it. We should allow them to develop according to their unique personality, God-given abilities and traits. That's hard for me. I struggle with that. I'm very black and white. Right is right and wrong is wrong. And the standards that I have require almost perfection at times. But I don't put those same standards on myself lots of times. And my bride's there to point me out. She can tell you I'm not perfect for sure. Okay? She'll probably tell you that anyway. But, but I'm not perfect. But it's, it's a struggle for me because I grew up an only child and I, I knew what I had to do. I had to toe the line all the time. That's not a bad thing, don't get me wrong, okay? But 
our kids to be perfect, don't we? We want them to be perfect. Why? Because it makes us look good. Right? I can come to sports. I can come to anything. Why? Because when our kids perform outstandingly, it makes us look good as parents. They just think we're crushing it, right? Look how good my kid is. Right? But here's the thing. I have to be reminded, I'm not perfect and my kids aren't either. And we're all growing in this together as we seek the Lord and his blueprint together. Sometimes I don't see all the pieces and she's there to help me rein me in and get some pieces in there. It's just like this Lego thing. I know there's a big picture and you can see it on the box on what it's supposed to look like. And one day we'll get there. Again, back to the small plants here. These olive shoots, again, are small plants. And our kids need what? They need nurture and they need patience from parents and grandparents. I'm telling you, the influence of my grandparents truly changed my life. It helped that they were across the field from me, and my grandmother was so gracious and kind, and my grandpa was very hard, <laughs> very hard. He was a farmer. He'd farmed his whole life. And I learned more about grace and compassion through him in a cornfield than I ever did see from him in front of people, okay? He didn't give you many compliments, but when, he, when you worked hard, he gave you compliments, okay, in the cornfield. That's how I got in shape for football. It's working for him. But here's the thing, like, we have to make sure that we're trying to do this. And that's the only way my grandpa knew how to do it. But he tried to do it for me, right? He tried. Okay, look at this. So if we, you know, all these kids need to mature, right? So a mature plant, what? Did you just produce fruit overnight? You just automatically started, you plant a plant, it just starts producing, right? Miracle grow when it starts producing fruit. That's not how it works, is it? Why? Because it takes lots of loving care, doesn't it? Protection, weeding, watering, and feeding before there is fruit. That's the picture here, that we can have children that are being nurtured towards producing fruit as they mature. And you guys are raising teenagers. I believe teenagers can be fruitful. And they start to understand. Why? Because you've been trying to pour into them this care and this patience and this grace that God's bestowed upon you. I wouldn't be in this, I wouldn't be in this situation where I'm at teaching teenagers if I didn't believe what God could do with them. Because I want them to leave a legacy that what? That shows that God continues his plan through them, just like he has since the beginning of time on earth. What does Ephesians 6 say? Got kids, I know you, we talked about this earlier for a little bit, right? It says what? Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for that is right. Honor your father and mother, that is the first commandment, with a promise. That it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in discipline and instruction of the Lord. Paul gives it pretty clear here on what we're supposed to be doing, right? Pretty clear. Children, parents, right? That father's there can mean both, okay? Don't provoke your children to anger. Bring them up in discipline and instruction from the Lord. And guys, I'm going to tell you, that's hard. That's why we have the church to help come encourage. <laughs> that's why we have this together. Because we're in this together to encourage to move along, to build up. It's interesting, I mean, the, the legacy that God's allowed me to be a part of, to me, it spreads throughout church families because everywhere Elizabeth and I have been, we've been able to plant roots. I never wanted to move from the first place, if that makes any sense. We've been able to plant roots and get real and have real relationships with real people. And we have grandma and grandmas at Tallahassee. We have them at, in Bonifay. We have aunts and uncles in Bonifay. The children are just friends of ours, but they're a part of our church family. 
And guys, when we start seeing the church as that, as God intended, it will change lives. Like I built good relationships with J.P. Hamilton's a good friend of mine. Matt Smith's a good friend of mine. We share things. I want to think with all y'all. Because I need all y'all as much as y'all need me. I can promise you. That's what it looks like. My, my, Uncle Zach. My boys have an Uncle Zach. He's the best one of my best friends in Bonifay. He's one of the finest men I've ever met. He can do anything. I mean, I thought, I, I'm, I'm definitely a redneck and do lots of things. This guy is on a different level. He's like an engineering redneck. He can do anything. I mean, I'm serious when I say that. He can do anything. It blows my mind. And that's their uncle, and they call him that. Then they have an Uncle Jerry, who's a, he, was, he was our deacon, one of our deacons at Grace Church, and he's one of the finest men I've ever met. He always points everybody to Jesus, no matter what. On a lawnmower, on his golf cart, running beagle dogs, it doesn't matter. He's always trying to point somebody towards the gospel. And this, this is the picture of what my family looks like throughout my, the family God's given me, besides my immediate family that I love so much. And that's the blueprint for what God has for us. The picture for families that we seek out, the blueprint of God's design, is the picture throughout these verses. What? If you look at the end there, what? What do you see? A happy patriarch, don't you? What's he say there? Five and six. The Lord bless you from Zion. May you see the prosperity of Jerusalem all the days of your life. May you see your children's children. Peace be upon Israel. Goodness. What's it supposed to be? I believe, just like he's talking about here, the building block of the nation we live in is the family. The chaos we have in our nation today can be traced many times to turmoil in our homes. If we want to see our nation and our world turned around, I believe it starts within our homes. We must follow God's blueprint by becoming families that fear the Lord and walk in His ways. Teaching and leading our children by example and words to grow and fear the Lord. That's what we're called to do, church family. When it comes to families, it's extended family. Open your house up. Have people in there you wouldn't normally have. Get to know someone. Especially the next generation. They need you. There's two studies I want to talk about as we, as we get ready to close out here. Two studies about two families. These were in all the commentaries I read, so I, I, I figured it was that important. There was a study of two families, and the results here are quite startling. One family descended from Max Jukes. Max Jukes was not a Christian. Who, he did not follow the Lord, nor did his wife. And among over the 1,200 descendants studied, 310 were professional vagrants, 440 were physically wrecked by lies of debauchery and uncleanliness. 130 went to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years each. Seven of those were murderers. 100 were alcoholics. 60 were habitual thieves. 190 were prostitutes. Now the 20 that learned to trade, 10 of them learned it in the state prison. Collectively, they cost the state of New York over $1 million right before the turn of the century. But the other family that was studied was the family of Jonathan Edwards. Some of you guys know who Jonathan Edwards was. He was a New England preacher. He ushered in the First Great Awakening uh, revival up, up in that area. Uh, <laughs> he's got some interesting works. Uh, I like his stuff. Uh, some of it's very hard to understand, <laughs> but he's got some decent stuff. Uh, he also had a godly wife named Sarah. And among his descendants, 300 became pastors, missionaries, and theological professors. Over 100 became college professors. 
Over 100 became lawyers, including 30 judges. Over 60 became physicians, and over 60 authored good books. 14 of them became presidents of universities, and three became United States congressmen. And although he was a black sheep spiritually, one of them became vice president of the United States, and Aaron Burr Jr. was Jonathan Edwards' grandson. So let me ask you, is God powerful enough to work morally through you to help our nation get better? Does it matter that much? It does. So you can see it right there from the text. Like, it matters that much. God can do that. He's the only one that can. So what are we ushering into the next generation? What are you leaving behind? A legacy that fears the Lord? Or fears you? What are you leaving behind for your own family and for your church family? You want God's blessing to pour into the next generation? Get to know some of them. Lead them towards Jesus. Impact many generations as you can and let God build his church. Dear Jesus, I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful for your grace. And God, I pray we pour into the next generation and lead and love them together as we reach the nations for, for the gospel, dear Jesus. It's a privilege to, to learn and lead and love here in Cordell. And I pray we make an impact here, but I pray we make an impact for you wherever you lead us and whatever you do. I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful you've given us a blueprint, Lord, for fulfilling families. God, I hope we seek that design always as we grow to learn to love you more. Seek your things. Pour into each other and pour into each other's lives as we build the family of God here and throughout the world. Always for your namesake and for your glory. I pray all this in your name. Amen.